Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenore Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and John Forster, Co-Manager of Impact's Environmental Markets. Last week, the investment world was stunned by the decision to close LF Woodford Equity Income Fund and wind up Woodford Investment Management. This week, some more news has come out on the demise of the Woodford Empire, this time on one of the other two funds it used to run. Dave, what's the latest? Hi, Leonora. More news on Woodford as always. As we discussed last week, he served notice on uh, his remaining two funds, including the Patient Capital Investment Trust. Um, the board of the trust at the time said they were going to uh, give an update soon on um, the new management arrangements, and they've now done that. Basically, they've announced that going to appoint Schroeder Investment Management to run the investment portfolio. That is expected to um, come into place by the end of this year. And also the trust is going to be renamed. So um, once Schroeder's take over, it's going to be called Schroeder UK Public Private Trust. I mean, how is Schroeder's going to run the trust? Is it going to be along the same investment lines as it currently runs? Yeah, so they've, they've basically said it's going to be in line with the uh, current objective and uh, approach. So that'll be quite interesting. Currently, it has a focus on the UK and it can uh, invest in quoted companies, but also what it's known for, the unquoted. So we're still going to be uh, seeing some of that exposure to private um, holdings. Okay. Um, what's um? I mean, what's Schroeder's experience and capacity in this area? I mean, is Schroeder's known for expertise in private equity, for example? Yeah, it's an interesting one that because uh, I think when it was announced, um, quite a few people uh, was sort of a bit baffled because they probably there are lots of things you would associate Schroeder's with, mm, um, but not private equity. Right? Probably not yeah. private equity off the top of your your tongue. But uh, some people have pointed out that they do have some fairly deep resources um, in this area. So globally, they run billions of dollars in this space and they uh, they have more than 100 staff who uh, who focus on this area. So it is something that they have, they have experience and resources in. Has the um, announcement that the trust is going over to Schroeder's, has it had an effect on its share price and very wide discount yeah. value? Uh, so obviously last week we discussed the fact that um, it had hit a 50% discount, mm. maybe, hadn't it? Um, and as you'd expect, uh, when it's on such a low kind of valuation, this news, um, this level of kind of additional certainty caused a bit of a bump in the share price. Um, so yesterday, when the news was announced, um, the share price came up by about 25%. Um, that has meant that the discount, which, as I said, was at about 50% to NAV, has come in, but it's still somewhere around 40%. So still quite a big discount. Do analysts think that the management change will be beneficial? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I think opinion ranges from cautious optimism to perhaps a more cynical take. Um, everyone agrees that this is a good thing that we now know who's going to run the uh, the portfolio. We have more certainty. Um, as I've mentioned, uh, Schroeder's does, you know, it's a big company, has a lot of resources to dedicate to this. But, you know, there's... There are lots of challenges ahead as well, um, lots of issues that they'll have to deal with. 
Okay, and um, what difficulties will the new managers at Shoulders have to deal with before the trust can see an improvement? So, yeah, loads, uh, loads of issues have been pointed out. First of all, if they're going to want to kind of overhaul the portfolio, um, you're still dealing with a very concentrated um, portfolio of very illiquid holdings. So that's going to be very difficult to, uh, to sort out, take a lot of time. At the same time, you have the issue of um, what the Woodford Equity Income Fund is doing. Um, so they have a decent level of crossover in terms of what they hold and what patient capital holds. Woodford Equity Income, as it starts to wind up, will be forced to try and sell down those holdings. Um, that will have a knock-on impact on patient capital. You also have the issue of the Equity Income Fund holding something like 9% of patient capital shares, which could um, have a negative impact on the share price. And also patient capital still has quite a lot of debt, which could cause it issues in future. Okay. Now, Woodford Patient Capital Trust didn't have an annual fee, but did have a performance fee, which for obvious reasons hasn't been charged. Mm. So what will the fee arrangements be when Shoulders takes over? First three months of um, Schroeder's time on the trust, they won't charge anything. Um, but then we basically start to move to a more conventional fee structure at first. So Schroeder's, after the first three months, will charge a 1% um, annual fee, which is uh, fairly standard. But then from the end of 2022, depending on certain conditions around whether the net asset value hits a certain level, Schroeder's will be able to um, levy a performance fee, um, similar basically to the one that Woodford was targeting, um, of uh, kind of 15% of basically anything above a kind of 10% um, outperformance. Okay, so uh, fees are likely to rise if things go well at Schroeder's. Yeah, mm. so, um, and it's interesting, people I think are quite divided on this. Some people think it, it makes sense given this is a very specialist asset class and it's kind of a good incentive. But then other people have questioned whether it's going to be attractive to investors to both have this standard fee and then on top of that to be kind of eating into returns with the performance fee. Okay, thank you, Dave. And see the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for his full report on Woodford Patient Capital Trust's move to shoulders. Many funds set their investment parameters along the lines of a geographic focus, but others invest along the lines of a theme or sectors, such as impacts environmental markets. John, what areas does impacts environmental markets put its assets into? Well, impacts environmental markets is a global fund investing in pure play businesses with a growth bias. Um, and across environmental markets. And that means different things to different people. But for us, we're talking renewable energy, energy efficiency, water treatment, pollution control, waste management and recycling, an area we call sustainable food and agriculture. So it's a diverse range of opportunities. Yeah. I mean, so what would be examples of, um, you know, kind of like companies in these areas? Um, well, we can't mention company names, but to give you a couple of examples from the top 10, two very different ones. First of all, we own the dominant market leader in the supply of backup power generators. So in the US, for example, they're having horrendous problems with hurricanes. Now, this company is providing the solution that keeps the lights on when these hurricane seasons are rolling on through. They're spearheading a 
a transition from diesel, obviously quite dirty, to a cleaner fuel in the form of gas. Um, and they have 75% market share in, in the US market. It's an interesting uh, period for them because what they've also done recently is made a couple of acquisitions in energy storage and also the home energy management management system kind of software piece so we're now seeing them look to offer integrated solutions so you could think a solar panel on the roof um, an energy storage system um, out the back and then a stand-up power generator all talking to each other and providing the most effective power generation so that's one opportunity and the second you know very different is in the kind of textiles arena um, so it's a fiber specialist and they make man-made cotton fibers, which are substituting for cotton with a much lower environmental footprint because cotton is, you know, it's very environmentally damaging water pollution, environmental degradation. So, um, it's dominant in its field, particularly in the specialist area of, um, a fiber called Tencel, which, um, some of your listeners may, may know is a kind of high performance fiber but it's an explosive process. So they're the only ones who can do it and they make very high um, margins and returns. So that's a couple of examples. Okay. And um, I mean, why should investors consider getting exposure to the areas and, and the companies that um, funds such as Impact's environmental markets invest in? Well, the, the main reason to be interested is growth. Uh, we believe that there are really compelling growth drivers underpinning environmental markets. It's driven by a need to use resources more efficiently. We're talking energy, water, materials, food, you know, these basic needs. Um, there's a huge need for investment in infrastructure, cleaner, more efficient infrastructure to deliver these needs to the end users. And then we're also facing a whole range of environmental challenges and problems. So in the broadest sense, climate change, pollution. If you look at the, you know, the war on plastics that's currently forcing change so that you know think of it as huge challenges to the global economy but ones which are opportunities for the businesses we invest in so it you know it's mainly growth and performance that that's what we're focused on but the second area is um because of what our companies do um the portfolio delivers a significant net environmental benefit so we calculate it we communicate it and um that's that's also something that some investors find appealing. Okay. Now, when you're selecting um, holdings for the investment trust, other than the fact that they I suppose, operate in one of the sectors that you mentioned, what attributes do you look for um, in, a, in a company that you're thinking of adding to the portfolio? Mm. We're looking to invest for the long term in the highest quality businesses in our investment universe. So, you know, we're really looking for strong fundamentals. We want to see proven management teams. We want to see a compelling strategy and a business model to address their target market. We're looking for strong governance, but also you know strong credentials in an environmental sphere, compliance with regulations, social issues, you know, good relationships with stakeholders. So that's the kind of ESG piece which we integrate into our research. And then finally, you know, we're looking for reasonable valuation. You know, this is a growth fund but we have valuation discipline as well. So we want it all, yeah. Mm. Okay. Now, um, 
When you, um, I suppose, putting together a portfolio, do you decide how much you want to allocate to each of the various sectors you invest in, or is the sector allocation an outcome of the companies that you decide to invest in? Mm-hmm. The, well, the process is very much driven by bottom-up stock picking. That's about 80% of the process. We do have a couple of top-down overlays, one being a macro view and the second being a thematic uh, filter, which looks at what's going on in our markets. Um, but you know, the majority is bottom-up stock picking. The only other addition to that is we do have some soft limits on more volatile sectors and regions just to manage the, that volatility. But- which specific ones? Well, first of all, emerging markets, you know, great opportunity. Mm. Uh, we have about 14, 15%, yeah. but it's a volatile region. So for a global fund, uh, we have a soft limit of 20. Mm. Uh, and otherwise, in terms of sectors, the renewable energy space and the you know, wind turbine manufacturers and solar module manufacturers is also pretty volatile, um, but we're far from our um, are kind of limits there, so we only have about three percent exposure. Mm. In that area. What's your cap on that area? Fifteen. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, now, talking of geography, um, your largest geographic exposure is the US, which, if I remember correctly, was around forty-two percent at the end of mm. September. Um, why? Why is why most of your assets in in the US? Well, I think you know, environmental markets are large global markets served by global businesses. Obviously, the U.S. is a is a large economy and also, you know, a, a significant in, uh, exporting market as well. But I think uh, so. That's why we have exposure over there. But the way to think about regions is if you look at where our portfolio is selling to, the destination of their sales, it's actually very well balanced between North America, Europe, and uh, and Asia Pacific. Um, and, and the other area to discuss is just valuations. So if you were to compare the fund with Global Equities or Acqui, mm. uh, we're significantly underweight North America, we're significantly overweight Europe, and we've got good exposure to emerging markets in Asia Pacific. And we're very comfortable with that constellation, you know, given valuations being more challenging over in North America, for example. Mm. I mean, on that note... Um uh, uh, your portfolio holdings on average have a, a higher valuation than the average for the constituents of MSCI World Index. Um, I mean, why do you think they're worth it? And would that mean that they're at a relatively greater risk of correcting than that index? Well, the reason they've got a more expensive valuation is because they've been delivering significantly faster growth. Uh, we looked at um, some five-year delivered growth numbers and, and showed that we had per annum faster earnings growth compared to global equities. So that's why there's a premium. If you looked at the premium to Acqui over the long term, it's averaged about 20%. And the premium at the moment is is around 18%. So in relative terms, you know, I'd say the valuation is kind of in line with with long term average. Okay. Now, Impact's environmental markets, despite its, I suppose, relatively narrow investment focus, has actually been quite successful in beating the returns of broad global equity indices such as MSCI World uh, and those of um, broad global equity investment trusts. Why? Um, Well, I'd argue against it being narrow because, you know, when we started 20 years ago, it was a narrow field of investment, mainly alternative energy and lots of unprofitable, unproven businesses. But if we look at it now, it's a very global opportunity 
And there's a whole range of, of sectors and areas that we can invest in. So it's much broader, more mainstream, healthier investment environment to, to get involved in. But by doing it for 20 years, I think you know, we've been successful in identifying themes as they've opened up. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, the, um, the portfolio has been delivering the growth that we, were, that we were looking for. So that's where the performance is coming from. Okay. Now, are there any types of market conditions in which you typically underperform and outperform uh, broad global equity indices? Um, Yeah, I guess there's a couple of areas to talk about. The first is that this fund does have a high tracking error against global equities. um, So it behaves quite differently. And that's because there are things you're getting more of, uh, industrials, tech, utilities, for example. And there's areas you're getting none of, which would be healthcare, financials, some of these sectors. So we do have a high tracking error, and that does mean that in some years we're not in the the sectors that are in vogue. Um, Other than that, it's a smaller mid-cap bias. They're well-established, proven, profitable businesses, $6 billion weighted average market cap. But um, if the market takes a big step down, it's a little bit more cyclical, a little bit more volatile, and, and... so you can underperform in those circumstances. Okay. Now, until late last year, impacts environmental markets typically traded at a discount to net asset value, quite often a double-digit one. Uh, but since then, it's come in quite a bit and um, mostly traded at a slight premium this year. What's brought about this change? Um, well, it's really been the narrowing of the discount and the shift to a premium reflects um, two things. It's mainly about the delivery of growth and performance. Um, which has attracted much more interest. Um, I think environmental markets are definitely very much in the um, um, area of public attention at the moment. So there's there's more appetite for the space, and um, so that's where the narrowing of the discount has come. Why it's come in is just broader appeal and interest. And do you have a discount control mechanism? Um, yes, we've just changed it recently. Rather, the board has. Um, so what we are saying now is that um, we are issuing shares at the moment at a, a small premium to um, to NAV. But what the board has also said is that in the event that a discount were to re-emerge, that they would stand behind the fund and would buy back the shares to keep the um, discount around NAV, basically. So um, people don't need to worry about a, a discount widening out again. Okay. Now, um like you said, um, you've enjoyed um, quite a bit of good performance recently, in particular over the first half of this year. Um, can the good performance continue for the rest of the year? I wish I could forecast that. <laughs> but uh, I can't. I mean, you know, since the half year, we lost mm. a bit of ground in the third quarter. We've So far in the fourth quarter, we've gained that back. So the kind of performance track record and outperformance, both of Acqui and uh, our sector benchmark, the ET100, is very much intact. Um, but you know, more than what's happening for the rest of the year, I would say you know, people should look at this as a long-term investment opportunity with compelling long-term drivers. Um, and uh, you know, having done this for 19 years myself, I think it's only becoming more relevant, more pressing, and more global uh, of an opportunity. So I think people that treat it in that way, you know, we're very comfortable and confident of the uh, of long-term prospects. Okay. Um, but, I mean, what are the main risks to the stocks you invest in at the moment? Um, well, like I said, the 
smaller mid-cap bias is definitely one area that people need to be aware of um, in a kind of risk-off market. Secondly, you know, we do have some cyclical exposures to areas like construction, um, but they're very well diversified across regions and, and types of construction. And that's an area we've also trimmed. Um, and I think otherwise, the main thing to be aware of is the tracking error, which we, which we talked about earlier on. Okay. Now, um, you've got one unlisted holding, Enzyme Corporation. Um, why did you decide to have an allocation to unquoted investments? Yeah, this is definitely a kind of, it's a legacy position. So the, um, the fund had a side pocket or a mandate to do up to 10% of investments in late stage pre-IPO unlisted investments. Um, we d- made some investments, but our experience is that um, it's very hit and miss in the unlisted arena. And um, so we decided the best place to make money in environmental markets is in the listed arena. So we stopped making investments uh, between five and 10 years ago, probably more 10 years ago. Um, but we said we'd look after um, the exposure that we had left. So um, this holding is our last unlisted holding. It has had some challenges which were flagged um, in the interim report, but it's now 70 basis points of the portfolio. So um, you know, it, it doesn't pose a material risk to the fund going forward. And also, we're not going to make any more unlisted investments. So that's where we stand. Okay. So in in what areas um, are you finding uh, new investment opportunities? We're constantly finding new but logical extensions of um, of new sectors to invest in. One of the recent areas has been software, or think of it as the industrial internet of things. So what we see is technology and software as radically changing the industrial landscape and making it more efficient. So it goes through everything from better product design, more efficient manufacturing. When a machine gets sold out into the field, it's, it's having software integrated to um, allow for predictive maintenance, you know, knowing when it needs a spare part before it breaks down. So the efficiency gains through that process are huge, but they're also very different businesses to the other investments in the fund. So these kind of subscription business models we thought are, are really compelling. Um, so that's an area we've been looking at. Do you have and any holdings in that area yet? We do. We have two holdings that are pure software businesses, uh, but we also have a range of industrials that have a, have a rising um, software content in their business. So, and Can the, you give examples of those? I can't give you names, <laughs> but the... The biggest holding um, is focused on uh, product lifecycle management, and it's addressing the needs that I that I discussed in terms of tightening up the whole industrial value chain. So um, that's a bit on software. Um, another emerging area that we're looking at now is you know, we try to be a bit ahead of the curve on what's going to happen next. And if you think about the circular economy, one of the areas that um, hasn't had much focus yet but will do is textiles and fashion um i think fast fashion the rapid growth in the number of articles of clothing that the average consumer buys the kind of short lifespan of those articles and the very high proportion of of end of life materials that ends up in the landfill is a is a big issue there are huge environmental challenges around textiles not just from recycling 
but also from water use, chemical use. Um, so it needs to be addressed. The EU is coming out with some position papers on you know, some targets and what they want to do about it. So we are looking for opportunities through that value chain, whether it's more efficient manufacturing, um, better recycling. Um, so it's early days, but that's, that's something that we're looking at right now. Okay, thank you, John. A really interesting update on impacts environmental markets. That brings us to the end of today's show, but also have a look at this week's Investors Chronicle or the website for more on what will happen to the former Woodford funds, investments of an environmental focus and global equity funds. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.